Heavenly Father, we come before you and we come in the name that is above every other name and the only name that gives us access to your throne room and that is the name of Jesus. And it's all because of what he did when he came to earth and he lived the life we could never live of absolute perfection, pleasing you in everything. Then he went to the cross and he went to the cross just like the Jews in the Old Testament would offer that unblemished lamb in faith, knowing that one day you would provide yourself as an unblemished sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And Lord Jesus, thank you for taking every thought, for taking every sinful action, and also for every act of disobedience on yourself, paying for it in full. And as uh, Brother Dale read earlier, you took all of the writings that were against us, nailed them to the cross, meaning you paid for them in full and wiped them out for all who would trust you, all who would believe you, all who would receive you as Savior and Lord. What a wonderful thing and what a wonderful God that we serve. And Lord, I pray for anyone here in this room as well as anyone that is watching online. And we pray for them to come to understand, if nothing else, to understand the cross, to understand salvation, and to put their faith and trust in you and in you alone. Lord, I know that there are people here who have needs. And I want to pray, Father, that you would meet their need. And I know sometimes it looks as though things are hopeless. Things will never change. Things will never happen. But you're a God who works miracles. And I pray you would provide for people. Jobs, income, automobiles, uh, whatever it may be, Lord. I pray friendships. I pray, Lord, that you would provide and you would remind people that we prayed for that. I want to pray for sick people and pray for those who are struggling now and pray for those who are going through different types of treatment, those who are on different kinds of medication, those who are weak, those who are struggling in ways we can't even imagine, even emotionally. I pray for us to be strong and for our minds to be renewed and pray for bodies to be healed. I pray for Chelsea this morning and ask you to please help her and her doctors and heal her and give her strength. I pray, Father, that you would remind us that we have the opportunity to have relationships with other people. And there are times when maybe we can't do anything more than just to be with somebody, to pray for somebody, to give an encouraging word to somebody, to be a friend to somebody. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that wherever they may be. I pray for those children at Roosevelt Middle School that we have helped time and time again. And uh, I pray, Father, that somehow you would communicate to them. Somebody loves them. And let them, as Jesus said, see our good works, but yet glorify our Father in heaven. We pray, Lord, for people in churches that are persecuted all around the world. And we ask you to give comfort to them and help them and strengthen them. And we ask you, Lord, to do a mighty work in our land. What a mess we are in and uh, Father, we uh, pray that you would heal our land. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us, feed us through your word today, strengthen us, and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him, and it's in his wonderful, lovely, powerful, precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles this morning, and isn't it great to live in a nation where we can carry a Bible freely? And where we can also uh, talk about the Bible, preach the Bible. 
whether it's in Sunday school or in a public gathering like this, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And we're thankful for the freedoms, the God-given freedoms that we have. And by the way, thank you uh, veterans for all of you who have served. Thank you for your service. And thank you for the way that you have contributed to our freedoms. We really do appreciate all of that. And uh, as we look in John chapter 1, we have uh, been looking and we, we saw in the prologue of this book, John the Apostle is telling us, I live with Jesus, I walk with Jesus, I was uh, among him, and he is the Son of God. Now he starts telling us a story. And as Jesus comes on the scene, he goes to the Jordan River and he is baptized by a man we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And uh, John... The Baptist also points Jesus out and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What's the answer to the sin problem? It is a sacrifice. And what kind of sacrifice? Only a perfect sacrifice will do. And Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. The God-man who died for us and uh, not only paid for our sins, but conquered death, hell, and the grave. Those who trust in Him have no reason to fear death or to fear the afterlife because we don't trust in ourselves or anything we've done. We trust in Christ and what He has done. Now, as He is getting ready to start the first week of His public ministry, Jesus starts gathering... Um, you see that uh, strange-looking word that is on the screen? And uh, that word, in case you uh, don't read Greek, it's mathetes, mathetes. Say, so, uh, so? Well, that is the word for disciple in the New Testament. It's the word that's used in this text. Now, you may be aware of the fact that the New Testament was written in Greek, in Koine Greek. Uh, Koine Greek as opposed to classical Greek. It's the common street Greek. And uh, the days in which Jesus lived, the Koine Greek was the language, kind of like English is today, the universal language and the language of commerce. Alexander the Great had conquered the known world and he wanted everybody to be a Greek. So they gave him a Greek name and he gave them the Greek language and Greek mythology and all of those kind of things. And when Jesus came, the Lord took advantage of all of that and he wrote the New Testament within the lifespan of Jesus Christ or a generation of Christ and wrote it in Greek so that he could go anywhere and everywhere, virtually everybody could read it. And he used words that we can look at today and get a better, fuller understanding of what they mean. Because I'm afraid a lot of you, whenever you think of disciple, you think of images on a stained glass in a cathedral. You think of pictures that you have seen, drawings you have seen of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples. Well, that is true. But what in the world would we talk about if we talk about a disciple? Well, we know that Jesus had 12 disciples. Uh, and this is something that I want to challenge you with. Because disciple... It describes the people who were called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And this is a message not so much to comfort you, but to challenge you because you've been called to be a methetes, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. But of those original 12, think about this with me. At least four of them were fishermen. There could be as many as seven because there are some in there we don't know what they did for a living. And they all lived uh, in uh, pretty close proximity to the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, more than four may have been fishermen, but at least four were. 
But interestingly enough, one was a tax collector. So he worked for the IRS. Well, you have to understand that in those days, the Roman Empire had conquered Israel. And so the Romans said, we're going to get our taxes from you. And then they did the unthinkable. They hired Israelis. They hired Jews to be tax collectors. And they made this arrangement with them. We want, let's just pull out a figure. We want $20. And uh, whatever you can get over that, you can keep. So the tax collector, say if he got $500, he would keep $480 and pay $20 to the Roman government. And so you can imagine the Jews hated these people, these fellow Jews who would work for the despised Romans and who would cheat their own countrymen. And so they uh, really did not have any love for these people at all. And yet Jesus calls one of them to be a disciple. Can you imagine that that caused somewhat of a stir? People thought, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow the Romans. And then this guy claims to be the Messiah and he hires one of them. And makes one of them to be on his team here. Well, not only that, but during the days of Jesus, there were these people that they hated the Romans so bad that they were called the Zealots. And some parts of the Zealots were called the Sicarii. And uh, these were the ones that would carry a knife with them. And whenever they saw an unsuspecting Roman soldier, they would go up behind him, grab him, and slit his throat and assassinate him. And their goal was to overthrow the Roman government and get rid of them by assassinating enough of their people that they would pull out and leave. Well, surely Jesus wouldn't call anybody like that. Well, there is a guy that's listed in the disciples called Simon the zealot simon zelotes and he was a member of that group that was trying to overthrow rome by assassination now let me ask you a question how do you think a person who worked for rome collected taxes for rome would get along in the same small band of 12 people with a person who wanted to kill anybody and everybody that was associated with the roman government let's put it this way had Simon and Matthew met under other circumstances, probably one of them would have killed the other one. And yet now here they are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at that and you say, well, why would he do anything like that? Well, a better question, why would he call you? Why in the world would he love you? Why in the world would he save you? Are there any sinners in the building? Let me hear you say amen. So we were all dead in trespasses and sins. We are all imperfect. We all need a sacrifice. We all need a Savior. And we don't come here to proclaim our own goodness. We come here to rejoice in the goodness of God. These are the disciples. Others that are unnamed or well, not unnamed, but their occupation is not listed probably were farmers. They grew crops. They tended flocks, sheep, goats, things things like that and um, maybe they were fishermen maybe they processed fish or something like that we don't really know but these are the people that Jesus called and what we're going to read about today in this first chapter of John is these first early disciples that Jesus called to uh, come and to follow him and they were a motley crew. They were ordinary people. They didn't have halos. They weren't particularly religious. They weren't people that uh, worked in the temple or did anything like that. Uh, 
hardly any of them had any kind of wealth or money. Maybe John the Apostle that wrote this book, he might have. It seems like when he left the fishing boats with his father, there were servants there with them, but most of them were not. And then they were politically divided. We think we're divided today. Think about what it must have been like, some of the conversations whenever politics came up and the disciples were sitting around the campfire. What would Matthew say? And what would Simon the Zealot say? And uh, things might have gotten heated from time to time. But there was something that kept them together, and that was something bigger than themselves. And that something is a someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, when we uh, start reading on all of this, we will... uh, Look at these things. Oh, oh something else. All the, the disciples, for the most part, were from Galilee, the kind of look-down hick region of Israel, except for one. There was one guy that was actually from Judea, the upper crust and all of that, and that would have been Judas. The disciples here that are listed might have known each other before they were disciples. This was a small country, a small area, and uh, they all tended to work around the Sea of Galilee and... Uh, so, you know, who knows uh, what they might have known. Judas uh, certainly would have been a uh, stranger to all of them. And so uh, uh, this is the kind of crew that if we were to advise Jesus and say, uh, from a marketing standpoint, what do you need? We would have said, you need some Pharisees. You need some Sadducees. You need some temple workers. You need some people here who would really be able to help you out. You need some people who could help spread your fame. You need some people who could uh, really do something that would be able to help you. And uh, so uh, we're going to read here, and we're going to notice that there were two disciples that uh, in John chapter 1, verse 40, and it says, uh, one of the two who heard John, meaning John the Baptist, that guy that baptized Jesus, heard him speak, followed him, and that was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Remember, John is writing more than to just Jews, so he translates some of these Aramaic terms. And uh, it says, And he brought him... To Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. That's another form of the name of John, different John. And it says, You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Petros would be the Greek word for stone, Cephas is the Aramaic word for stone. And uh, so John translates it again. He does that a lot through the book. Then it says, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee that's heading up north in Israel and he found Philip and said to him follow me now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter so they may have known each other and Philip found a guy named Nathaniel and said to him we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. He didn't argue with him. He didn't try to convince. Just come and see. 
And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathan, uh, pardon me, Nathanael said to him, uh, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So, now we get an introduction here to just a few of the disciples. Not all twelve, but just the original ones that followed the Lord Jesus Christ, these uh, Galileans. And uh, we learn some things from them. I think that they're in here because all of us are called to be disciples. All of us are supposed to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to know what it means, okay? So number one, I want you to think with me about the meaning of that word methetes. What, what did it mean back when this was written? What did it mean to the original audience? What did it mean to the first people who read this uh, when John wrote it? So let's think about the meaning. And uh, the word, by the way, mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S, uh, you'll notice at the very beginning of it, it has the word math. So this word for disciple in Greek has the word math in it. What in the world is he thinking? We have to do algebra in order to come to Christ? I hope not, because I'd be in trouble if I have to do that. But to the Greeks, the idea of mathematics, the math part of it, M-A-T-H, meant to think to have concepts. Well, that's the deal because the teacher puts up on the board what is X and then puts a bunch of gibberish up there and I'm supposed to figure that out? Well, I could always do it when the teacher did it. But when I had to do it on my own, I couldn't remember all of the steps. It didn't make any sense to me and I would end up in trouble because I couldn't think in terms like that. Now, I had a good friend in high school and then later in college and he was a math whiz. He could do calculus and trigonometry and all of that kind of stuff. And that was all Greek to me. And um, yet at the same time, he was terrible at history. And I said, why in the world could you be bad at history? It never changes. There's no X in history. And he said, well, math is more concrete. And I said, are you kidding me? X can be any number of things out here, but Columbus always sailed in 1492, right? And so that was easy for me. I deal in those kind of things. He didn't. And so the idea, mathetes, has the word math and, or mathematics in it. Why? Because disciples are supposed to be, are you ready for this? Thinkers. God never called you just to sit and just to endure. God never called you to leave all of the stuff that matters to the experts, to the clergy, to anything like that. All of us are supposed to think. We think about Jesus. We think about his concepts. We think about his word. We think about what he said. And we think about how to apply it. And that's how we uh, become disciples. This idea of thought and concept and mental and that kind of thing. Our word mathematics is uh, 
kind of derived from this idea. Um, in fact, uh, a scholar, uh, Vines, he said that this word from uh, a root, math, indicating thought accompanied by endeavor. Thought accompanied by endeavor. You're not just supposed to hear something or read something that Jesus said. You're supposed to think on it. The Bible calls that in other places meditation, meditating on the word. And then it's supposed to lead to action. A methetes, a disciple, was a learner, a thinker. Okay, And as a disciple, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require, someone, who, uh, someone catechized with proper instruction from the Bible with necessary follow-through. That means life application. In other words, it was never intended that you would just come and learn a bunch of facts about the Bible and have it not change your life. You were not supposed to just come in and let uh, check your brain at the door and let somebody like me just pour a bunch of garbage into your head and say, oh, I believe that. You were supposed to think about this, reason it out, understand it as best you can, and come to conclusions of, of faith and lifestyle based upon the Word of God. Well, you can see there are a lot of people who attend church, but calling them a disciple might be a stretch because they never think and they never apply the Word of God. They may even have a quiet time every day and they read something out of the Bible and they pray something and maybe read a devotion, but by 10 o'clock they have no idea what they've read, they've forgotten about it, or they never bother applying it to their life. That is not what we're called to do. All of us are called to be these disciples, learners, thinkers. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was a guy named Andrew, and he's listed as Simon Peter's brother. And he's the one who found his brother. Okay, so it gets a little confusing, but the, one of the first ones to follow Christ was a man named Andrew. And Andrew had been a follower of John the Baptist, but now he's following Jesus. And before he does much of anything else, he goes and finds his brother. And his brother is Simon Peter, the guy that we all know, the guy we've all heard of. And he brings him to Jesus. In fact, it's uh, interesting whenever you find Andrew mentioned in the Bible, he is bringing someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. For example... We not only have this one with him bringing his brother to Christ, but in John chapter 6, 8 and 9, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And uh, so here you find that even though Andrew's thinking it's a hopeless cause, you remember Jesus said, we got 5,000 men plus women and children out here. Feed them. And they said, oh, my goodness. And Philip, the calculating one, said, a year's salary wouldn't buy enough food for all of them. And then here's Andrew bringing this boy to Jesus. He's always bringing someone to Jesus. And he comes and he says to him, uh, here's, here's a kid with five loaves and two fishes. Um, but what's so little among so many? And then uh, we find also in John chapter 12, verse 20 and 22, it says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast 
were some Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jews. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So there again, what is he doing? And this is point number two. Number one, the meaning, we're thinkers. We are followers and applying the truths of Christ to our lives. And number two, as a disciple, we learn from Andrew, it's our job to bring other people to Jesus. We're not just to be sitters and getters. We are to be goers and tellers. We are to be living a life and we are to be doing good deeds and we are to be sharing the gospel in addition to that so that other people are brought to Jesus. We have the come and see mentality. We're not there to argue with them. We're not there to win an argument. We're not there to put them in their place. We're not there to show them how smart and knowledgeable we are. We are there to simply say to them, come and see why do you live like you do why do you believe what you believe well come and see and you can invite them to church that's fine but it's much much better if you can explain to them why you believe in Jesus because you are a learner you are a thinker about the things of God and so from Andrew we find bringing people to Jesus bringing people to Jesus is something that was the passion of his heart we also find in Andrew that he was willing to do what I call playing second fiddle. Someone asked the great conductor of uh, the New York Symphony, Leonard Bernstein, what is the hardest instrument, hardest instrument to find and place in the uh, orchestra and uh, the symphony? And without hesitating, he said second fiddle. Nobody wants to play second. Nobody wants to, everybody wants to be the lead. They want to be the standout. They want to be the amazing one. They want to be the quoted, the talked about. They want to be all that. And yet, Andrew here, every time you find him mentioned, what does it say? Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter's brother. Now, I don't know about you, but if every time my name was mentioned, they said Greg Keenan, Jeff Keenan's brother, I'd get annoyed. Wouldn't you? And yet it didn't seem to bother Andrew. He actually brought his brother to Jesus. He didn't try to claim a throne or claim authority or claim power or preeminence or anything like that. He brings his brother to Jesus, Simon Peter. And then from the rest of his life, he's known as Andrew, the disciple, parenthesis, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, have you ever heard of Andrew? Eh, it rings a bell. Simon Peter's brother. Oh, now I know who it was. Peter was always the loud, boisterous, out in front type person. Every time you find him mentioned in the four gospels, he's always talking. You know anybody like that? He was a guy who would enter a room mouth first. You heard him before you ever saw him. And uh, naturally, he got a lot of attention, but not Andrew, but it didn't seem to bother him. And so as a disciple, we bring people to Jesus, and we're willing to have a little humility, and we are willing to play second fiddle if that's what we're called to do. And so uh, here Andrew is, one of the two who heard John speak, and they followed him. And he's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Just interesting to note, that's how he's always delineated 
uh, as we look into the Bible. Now, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of the nations. In other words, that's basically a command for all of us to keep on making disciples, keep on being an Andrew. There are other people like Simon Peter who need to know the Lord. There are other people that, uh, uh, like the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes that could be used by Christ for something great. And there are other people outside of the faith who say, we want to know about Jesus and we are the ones that are to tell them and we are to make disciples. Now, Thirdly, we notice here that Simon Peter is mentioned. He's the famous one that denied the Lord Jesus and that type of thing. And a lot of times he put his foot in his mouth. And the only time he took his foot out was uh, to change feet. And uh, always was saying something. In fact, he might say something really, really good. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that in Matthew 16? And Jesus said, Absolutely right, Peter. And flesh and blood didn't uh, show you that. It was my Father, which is in heaven, who revealed that to you. And then right after that, Jesus says, and I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, oh, no, you're not. not. Not as long as I'm around. Kind of a free translation there. And uh, what did Jesus say to him right after that? I mean, right after he says, blessed are you, Simon. Then the very next thing he says is, get behind me, Satan. You're talking like the devil. I came to die. I came to go to the cross. I'm not a victim of circumstances. This is the same guy. Had his highs and had his lows. Had his times when he would preach and 3,000 are saved. Had other times when he's having the Apostle Paul withstand him to the face because he was a little prejudiced. And so this is the same guy we're talking about. But here's what we uh, apply into our lives as a disciple. And Outward evidence of an inner change. Outward evidence of an inner change. Now, whenever somebody says that they are saved and I'm trying to make my life better, I always wonder, are you doing that because you love Christ or you want to be accepted by Christ? Because here's the thing. Jesus never said, clean yourself up, get yourself straightened out, and then come to me and we'll talk. He never said that. He said to you as a sinner, come as you are. Come as a sinner. I will forgive you, I will cleanse you, and I'll do it by grace through faith. But that's the way we come to Christ for salvation. But I will guarantee you this. You never encounter Jesus. You never receive his grace and stay the way you are. You are always changed. And that change is going to be evident in the way you talk. It's going to be evident in the way you live. It's going to be evident in your priorities. It's going to be evident in the way you spend your money. It's going to be evident in the way that you treat other people. And we could go on and on with that. But the outward is the evidence of the inward. Now, when Peter walks up, notice in these verses, Andrew doesn't say, Lord, I'd like for you to meet my brother. When they walk up, Jesus immediately knows who Peter is. He immediately speaks to him and he says, You're Simon and you are the son of Jonah. And, um, you know, from now on you're going to be Cephas. You're going to be a rock. And nobody seems to find that strange. You know, nowadays with social media, uh, I, I ran into somebody that was one of my wife's friends 
uh, at a store one time. And I said, oh, man, it's good to see you. And I, and I started to tell her a little bit about what was going on. And she already knew it. You know why? Facebook. You, we can't, and, okay, well, see ya. Nothing to talk about. Everybody knows everything that's going on. Isn't that kind of sad? So we don't necessarily think it's strange. But back in these days where they didn't have that kind of communication, they didn't have social media, and yet Peter walks up and Jesus immediately knows exactly who he is and gives him a nickname on top of that. Wow, that's kind of amazing. What was he saying here? You are no longer going to be just Simon, but you're going to be a rock. I'm going to use you and, and this same Peter in his epistle. You ought to read his other book. He talks about all of us being living stones in the temple of God. You and I don't go to a temple. We are the temple of God. We don't go to a sanctuary. We are the sanctuary. We are the living house of God. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you're going to be a part of that. Now, Peter had an inward change. He doesn't immediately become a full-time follower of Christ at this point. But you can read about that in Luke. Jesus is going to do some speaking by the sea, and the crowds are really, really big. And so they decide they're going to get in Peter's boat, go out into the lake a ways, and then Jesus is going to teach all of them. And because Jesus always pays his way, he says, uh, by the way, cast your net out over here. Peter goes, we've been trying that. There's nothing out there. And they did it, and uh, man, they just... Just about sunk the boat there were so many fish and then Peter falls down on his face and says depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord well good because Jesus comes to save sinners Jesus comes to forgive sinners and Jesus through his death burial and resurrection makes sinners a friend of God acceptable to God and that's why we sing about the cross that's where it took place and so Peter as a follower of Christ and the outward name that he had was indication of what Christ had done for him on the inside so can I ask you a question are you trying to be a hot shot are you trying to be good are you trying to show off or do you want everybody to see all of the good things you know and all the good things you do so that you'll be acceptable to God or do you do those good works because you've already been made accepted by God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because those who are going to be true disciples have to learn from Christ, and those who are true disciples have their lives changed from the inside out, not the outside in. That's called a hypocrite. That's called wearing a mask. That's called being a fake. That's called putting on a performance for someone else. But remember... God looks upon the heart. Has your heart been changed by the Lord Jesus like Peter's was? Peter was a rough guy. And even though he had been saved, he still had some rough things later on. Now, changing somebody's name wasn't necessarily strange in the Bible. There are some famous name changes. You remember a guy named Abram? And God changed his name to, anybody know? Abraham, very good. And uh, he changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. Yeah, and there were meanings behind that. We won't get into all of that, but that's in Genesis chapter 17, verse uh, 
5 and verse 15. And there's another guy, a descendant of Abraham, and his name was Jacob. And uh, one night he had a wrestling match, and it turned out he was wrestling God. And before the wrestling match ended, to humble Jacob before him, the uh, Lord says to him, No longer are you to be called Jacob, but you are to be called Israel. In fact, the nation of Israel is named after Jacob. And the people of Israel named after Jacob. That's all because of that name change. So Peter had a name change too. And um, so Andrew, as Andrew led Simon to Jesus, and Simon saw Jesus for the first time, he may have been a little disappointed at Jesus' appearance. There was nothing kingly about Jesus' appearance. He wasn't what you would expect of a great warrior who would uh, lead the overthrow of the Romans. He was pretty plain and ordinary looking. You can read about that in Isaiah. It's prophesied. There was no form or comeliness that we should desire him, Isaiah said hundreds of years before. But though Jesus wasn't in appearance... Uh, what he was hoping for, Simon was quickly amazed because he didn't even need to introduce himself to Jesus. Jesus spoke first when they met, and he said, You are Simon, the son of uh, Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas. This is an amazing thing, and it shows the omniscience of Jesus as the God-man. He already knew who he was before Peter even knew who Jesus was. So it's uh, kind of an amazing thing that we see Jesus showing himself here, and he does it again. Look at uh, the fourth thing we see in here is Nathaniel, an honest, loyal, and sincere. So if we're going to be a disciple, we have to be a thinking follower of Jesus, a thinking follower of Jesus, understanding and living the concepts of Christ. And then we also have to be the one who brings other people in like Andrew. And then we have to have an outward change that reflects what has happened inside of us. It's real before us. And then we find Nathaniel here. And because of what Jesus said, we learn that we have to be honest, loyal, and sincere. Honest, loyal, and sincere. Listen, if you've blown it, don't try to lie about it to God. Be honest about your sin. Confess your sin. That means to agree with God about your sin. He always blesses honesty and sincerity. If you're going to follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Don't just stick your toe in the water and uh, don't just go halfway. Go whole hog with it and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about a guy that the following day Jesus is going to go to Galilee. And so he talks to a guy named Philip and says, Philip, follow me. And Philip says, okay, but I've got a friend I want to go see first. And he goes and sees Nathaniel. And he goes to Nathaniel and says, we found the Messiah, the Messiah that was predicted by Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, who, Nathaniel, who? He said, well, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the one who is called the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's first reaction to that is, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the reason that he said that is because that northern region of Israel called Galilee 
was uh, looked down upon by the entire nation of Israel. And the Galileans looked down on Nazareth. It was the armpit of the armpit, I guess we would say. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just says, come and see. And when he walks up, Jesus, again, because he knows everything, he looks at Nathanael and he goes, Behold, an Israelite that is honest, an Israelite that is sincere, an Israelite that is not pretending, an Israelite that is not a fake. Let's put it that way, not a fake. You see, the Jews had this problem. They would fake what they were doing. I'm really righteous. And then they would do things to make themselves look righteous when they were corrupt on the inside. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you, you appear to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside, you're like a tomb full of dead men's bones. But Jesus looks at Nathaniel and said, an honest one, a sincere one, and one in whom there is no guile. Now, what was the big deal about the fig tree? The fig tree was a place where if a Jew owned a piece of land and had a fig tree, that, that meant he was pretty prosperous. <clears throat> that was his uh, uh, Israeli dream, I guess we would say. And he would sit under the tree. That's where he would meditate on Scripture. That's where he would pray. And uh, probably Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree praying for the Messiah to come. And then along comes Philip. Nathaniel, we found him. Come and see. And when Jesus sees him, he goes, here's a guy who has no guile. Nathaniel's going, how do you know me? I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And that was so impressive to Nathaniel that he bows before him and says, you're the king of Israel. You're the king, the one that is promised. You are the promised one. And he found out something good come out of could come out of Nazareth because although Nazareth was sinful, it was barely Jewish. It was heavily influenced by Gentiles and by a, a secular city that was very close to it. That's where Jesus came from. And so God is the God who brings beauty out of ashes, who restores the years that the locusts have eaten, who brings the best out of the worst of situations, even brings Jesus out of a a city that no one would suspect the Messiah would ever come from. And that, of course, was Nazareth. He knows everything about Nathaniel. He knows the longing of Nathaniel's heart, placed there, of course, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. He calls him out on all of that, and Nathaniel is absolutely blown away and submits to him. And we learn something else. What's this thing that Jesus said? You, you think that's something? You're amazed by that? You believe because of that? Well, you're going to see great things. And you're going to see angels descending and ascending uh, on the Son of Man. In other words, disciples have to have a conviction about a certain truth. A conviction about a certain truth. Now, if you were to go back in the book of Genesis, you would find a guy named Jacob. And he was on his way. He was on the run. And uh, he had to get away from his older brother. And he's at a place that he calls Bethel. Bethel. It's actually Bet-El. And the Bet is the Hebrew word for house. And the El is short for Elohim. House of God. House of God. That's what Bethel means. Whenever you see that on a church or anything, that's what it means or at least it's supposed to mean. And so uh, that night, he, uh, that's when he uses the rock for the pillow. And he has a dream. And he sees a ladder coming down from heaven. And what does he see? 
angels going up and down the ladder, up and down the ladder. We call it Jacob's Ladder, of course. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder. No, you're not. Only angels can do that. You can't. And this is what the point is. When Jesus talks about that, he is telling Nathaniel, you remember Jacob's Ladder? Yeah, of course he did. That was a famous, famous story about a very famous person. I mean, Israel's named after that guy. What do you mean? And uh, Jesus says, you're going to see the Son of Man, not a Son of Man. That could be anybody, but the Son of Man, the Messiah. You're going to see him, me in other words, with angels ascending and descending from me. You know, it's the same story that uh, Jacob told in his dream, except something's missing. The ladder is missing, and it's replaced by Jesus. You see any symbolism there? Jesus is saying, the way to heaven will no longer be you trying your hardest by climbing some ladder you could never climb, that only angels could go up and down, but you will come through me. I am replacing the ladder. I am the way to God. And that's why he would say later in this book that we're going through, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. Through me. And that's what he's saying. I'm the ladder. I'm the entrance. I'm the way to God. So when I think about these things, I want to ask you a question. Are you a disciple? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have to say no. But if you will trust Him today and surrender your life to Him and trust in Him as the full and total and only payment for your sin, you immediately become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you that have been saved, you have been born again and trusted God, then my question would be, are you really a learner? Are you a thinker about these things? Can you explain them? Are you growing in your knowledge of them? Maybe you can't right now, but do you have any goals to know the Lord and to know His Word and to know His truth like that? That's what makes you a disciple. You're a follower and you are a thinker about Him. And then let me ask you, what kind of disciple are you? Do you attempt to bring other people to Jesus? Do you pray for them? Do you witness to them? Do you take open doors to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ and to teach them what uh, the Bible says about salvation? Are you a person that has had a change in your life that is an evident change? Oh, my religion is just private. I don't share it. No, you're supposed to share it and you're supposed to show it. Your lips need to match up with your life. And what happens in your life is an outward display of what the change, what a wonderful change in my heart has been wrought, right? And so uh, we are to show that. And then we are to also be the people who are sincere. We're not fakes. We don't live a double life. We don't have one life at home and another life at church. We don't have one life around our lost friends and another life around our church friends. We don't have hidden things that we don't want people to see and to find out like pornography and drug and alcohol abuse and things like that, affairs and double lives. We don't want to be like that. We are like Nathaniel. We are sincerely following Jesus Christ. And then we have a conviction like the apostles did that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And they were so assured of it, they died for it. And we too must be willing to surrender our lives and give our lives to the truth of the gospel. So that would be the challenge. Are you a disciple? And if you are, 
What kind of disciple are you? And if you're not a disciple, then trust Christ today as your Savior and your Lord, and you will become a disciple, a follower, a mathetes of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we get this put together, and isn't it interesting that we have to have several people to give us a full picture of what a disciple truly is? And there's probably at least one of those things that is kind of your thing and, and what you feel drawn to, and that's okay. Doesn't mean you can ignore the other ones. It just means you'll always be strong in that one area. Good for you. But learn of the other things because this is, after all, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we are following. And he's the most wonderful person ever to exist in the entire universe. Why would we not want to know more about him and to be more like him as a mathetes, a follower, a learner of Christ? So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to do something for us today. Father, my prayer is if there's somebody in here, and I don't care if they're a church member, I don't care if everybody thinks they're saved or not, but they're not really saved and they're not really a disciple and they don't have any of the desires that these disciples had, I pray, Lord, today would be the day they come to truly know you and that their walk with Christ is more than a religion, more than just a checklist, more than just a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it's a real change of life and a change of heart they are thinkers they are learners they are followers of jesus and i pray father that if there's someone here today that they're not a church member they don't really care that much about church and they may be addicted to something they may be involved in some kind of immorality they may be living a life that they would be embarrassed for anyone to know would you show them today that you are a gracious loving heavenly father who receives sinners and you're a friend of sinners. And that you will save them and cleanse them from their sin. And bring them into your family and make them your disciple. And for every person that is here today who is saved and born again. May we look at these things and may we ask ourselves the question. Are we really hungry to know God and to know his truth? Are we applying it so that it changes our lifestyle? Are we really interested in seeing other people come to know Christ as Savior and Lord like Andrew did? Are we really people like Peter who can show outward evidence of an inward change in our lives? Are we really like Nathaniel where our walk with God is not a fake, it's not a put-on, it's not something that is just what we do on Sundays. There's no hidden ulterior motives in our lives or no hidden part of our lives. And are we absolutely committed to the truth that Jesus is the only way to God? And it may be that as we look at all of that, we come to realize maybe we're not everything we think we are. And I pray, Lord, that we would repent and get things right with you today. So, Father, that's our prayer. And we thank you for your word and we thank you for the example of these men. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.